You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. So uh, this morning, go ahead and take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I do hope as, as we walk through this pastor search process that you are genuinely praying. Uh, and, you know, you may be there like, I don't know, you know, some, every person in the church and who or who may not be eligible. And, and if that's where you are, that's okay. Just pray and ask God to let those individuals surface. But as you pray, if God puts somebody in your mind, do talk with them. So we just generally want that. It's, you know, our process here at River, I, I don't know that I've been a part of a church or seen it quite done the way that we do it here. That may either mean we're weird or odd, we're doing it wrong, or I don't know what it means. But it, God seemed to bless last time, and it seems to be this time. But we just really are trying to create a process that, that God can speak through us together as a church body. I value that. Uh, I really value a, a kind of a collaborative input, but also that allows leaders to lead and allows our search team to do due diligence and walk through all those things together. So anyhow, so just uh, be a part of that process, however that makes sense and works to you. And it's kind of fitting uh, that we're in the middle of that because this morning we're going to see what uh, three things that good spiritual leaders do. Think of these three things as maybe qualities or skills or uh, competencies, but three things that, that, that good spiritual leaders do. So not just pastors, but certainly pastors, but in your home, think about how you lead in your home. Uh, think about in your church. Think about even among friends, right? There's different times where friends need to speak and lead their other friend, you know, and maybe down the road it works the other way. But these are three things that should be important in, in all of our lives. So read with me. There's, uh, if you will, this is drama. This is church drama at its finest. Keep in mind the title series. This is church, right? This is reality and all these things. I don't know why we think, and, and we do think this, that church just ought not have any major problems. Uh, everything ought to be happy and smiles, and it's pretty naive. You can't even read the Bible without realizing, like, yeah, that's not reality. It's just, there's going to be some difficulties. So read and enjoy with me some of the drama this morning, all right? <laughs> read in, in chapter 12, verse 11. Paul says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. In other words, they weren't treating him well. And he's like, what are you guys doing? You should have been like thankful, grateful, commending. He said, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles. There are these invisible to Paul. They were actual people. But the church had turned their eyes, their heart to follow in these these false apostles these that were proclaiming a false gospel, all of that, and, and the church was comparing Paul to them, and it got into all of this just high-end drama kind of stuff, and Paul is trying to work through it with them. And he says, I'm not inferior to them, even though I am nothing. In verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me of this wrong. Get a little bit of, I don't know if we would say sarcasm, but what Paul is saying is like, look, guys, I was the first apostle. I shared the gospel. I started you as a church. I shared it. You guys received it. 
And I demonstrated all of the signs of an apostle, signs and wonders and preaching and all that I did, the miracles that, that happened, is proof that I, you should be listening to me. The only thing that I did differently you, with you than other churches is I didn't receive a paycheck from you, compensation. He's like, oh, forgive me that I didn't treat you the same as everybody else and didn't receive any compensation from you. He goes on in verse 14, he says, here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I'm not trying to get something out of you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get connected, to have reconciliation here with you. He says, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for the children, right? We know that. We, we don't have kids so they can take care of us. Although I am thinking retirement plans, kids taking care of parents. The older I get, the more that seems like a really great model. You know, at least in my case, you know, with eight kids, like I could be woohoo, live it up. But Paul, we know parents save for kids, not the other way around. Paul says, I'm not looking for anything from you guys. I'm not trying to gain anything out of this. He says in verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself do not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Here are the accusations and the conflict that he's having to work through with them. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? In verse 18, I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? You get the idea. Drama, conflict. First things that good spiritual leaders do is they address conflict forthrightly. They address it. They don't shun it. They don't run from it. They're not conflict-averse. They're not afraid. They don't cower. They don't walk around looking for a fight. But instead, when the conflict surfaces and the confusion and all of this junk is swirling, you're getting the drama, right? You've been in these arguments. You've had these discussions with people, and it's working through all these details and all the, the things that the, the, the church is saying about Paul. I mean, he's probably initially like, what in the world? Where did they get this? What are they thinking? And, and he's navigating all of that. But as a spiritual leader, as the apostle responsible for them, he says, guys, I'm ready to come to you a third time. You know, much like a, a law enforcement officer that, that runs to the problem, runs to the danger wisely, carefully with training and however that all works. Paul did the same. Instead of just, oh my goodness, I can't handle this. I'm just going to go do something else. He addressed and he forthrightly began to walk through that whole process before them. He did it with a heart to bring correction. He wasn't, sometimes you and I get in fights and we get in the middle of those, we get like offended and, you know, we, we take things personally and all of that and we get worked up. All of us do that. And sometimes in the middle of that, we try to, the, the argument shifts from what's right to, oh, I'm right, and I'm going to win this one way or the other so I can, you know, keep my pride or whatever. Paul's not doing that. He's wading in, trying to bring a correctness. He's trying to bring correction into the middle of the situation, and he's doing it ultimately for their good. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But 
he didn't run from the problem. He didn't shy away or hide from it whatsoever. And instead, actually what he's trying to do is to bring a reconciliation, a restoration. There's a, a breakage that's not his fault. He did everything well as he should, but as he left, they began turning to other, other false gospels, other individuals, other leaders, if you will, and invited this whole mess into the world. And Paul's trying to straighten it out, just as a parent trying to work through things with the kids or a relationship. It's a lesson for you and for me. Some of you are more comfortable, you know, able to walk through that kind of dialogue. It's by nature the way your brain works or maybe the way you're wired or whatever. Maybe you grew up in a situation where you do that. You're able to kind of, you know, go back and forth with that. And others of you are just like, I, I can't, my brain can't function that quickly. I don't, and you don't walk through that. Regardless of how that works for you, regardless of how you process those things, there's times in your life and relationships with individuals that you have a responsibility to forthrightly walk in and begin to engage in those situations. To leave them alone only make, allows it to get worse. To hide, to think that it's just going to get better is, is kind of naive and kind of foolish. But Paul's heart was to bring a restoration and a, a reconciliation in the process. He said, I'm not seeking anything from you. I'm not seeking what's yours, he says in verse 14. I'm not trying to get something out of you. I'm not being that telemarketer on the phone trying to swindle you out of something or get something out of you. He says, I'm actually just seeking you, he says. I'm, I'm looking for your benefit. I'm looking for what's good for you, and I'm trying to bring a healing and a restoration and a reconciliation in the middle of this. Paul is saying, I'm fighting as it were for us together than I am for me. I'm trying to help you and trying to help us bring solution to that. Good leaders, you and I are good spiritual leaders, good in relationships with one another when that's our goal. Eventually, when you and I don't forthrightly address problems, they get bigger and bigger. They don't get smaller. And then they've grown so big, they're like that weed in the yard that you and I could have clipped or that tree when it was just like nothing, you know, and we let it grow and we kind of put it off and put it off. And then the next thing you know, you've got to pull a chainsaw out and you're like, you know, you've got this thing that's overgrown and it's a lot more work, a lot more painful, all of that. And Paul is speaking in, trying to bring that, that reconciliation to the healing into that relationship. In verse 9 of chapter 13, he goes on, he says, he says, your restoration is what we pray for. You see, his goal was to restore them to God, and you'll hear a little more of that in a moment, but also to restore them in relationship with one another. That was what his aim was. Guys, when you and I wade into conflict, it should not be for our benefit. It should not be to prove we're right. It should not be to win an argument, to somehow prove that we were right all along and the other person was wrong. Instead, it should be with the goal to bring a, a restoration, a reconciliation. 
So the next time you find yourself in that world, check your heart before you speak. Check your heart and your motive before you step into it. And if you can't get to where that is your motive, then you don't engage. You engage only after you can discern in your heart. And as you talk with that other individual, you make sure that you communicate that and, and declare that because otherwise things get complicated. We've, you and I have made those mistakes in the past, but I'm trying to help both of us with what we see here with what Paul did. Is he declared to them, I'm trying to help you. And as you do, pray for them along the way. That's what Paul said. He says, we're seeking your restoration. And that is, that's what we pray for. You see, it's not you and me trying to go in our own strength or our own knowledge or I can just, I can explain it and solve all of this and make it make sense. We need God to work in the middle of that and work in the other person's lives or the people's lives. Paul knew that no matter, even as, as adept as he was and as just as, as he could bring incredible logic and reason to the situation and as he could bring all the spiritual truth to bear, he was insufficient to help solve this. And he needed the God of heaven to work in the middle of that relationship with them. So good spiritual leaders engage just forthrightly. They don't dance or play around. They don't drop hints and they don't, you know, um, you know try to maneuver or manipulate. They just speak to the issues and they engage for the sake of the good of the other person, but especially together in restoration. Second thing I want you to know is the good leaders do. Not only do they address the conflict straight up forthrightly for the other person's good, but they also address sin issues courageously. They address those sin issues courageously. We live in a world where it is increasingly uncomfortable and seen as bad to talk about anyone doing anything wrong unless it has to do with the environment or social good. So strange to me, like those are the two things that it's okay to shame other people, it's okay to tell other people how awful they are and how wrong they are and how bad they've been over environmental issues and social issues, but we can't talk about lying and stealing and integrity issues and all of the other things. Uh, uh, sexuality. We can't talk about all the other things that God looks at. It's crazy. So you and I, though, as good leaders, good spiritual leaders, we have to courageously address sin issues. Paul, in the middle of this conflict, begins to, to talk to them about that. Look what he says in verse 19. He says this. He says, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? <laughs> Hey, guys, do you think that I'm just taking this personally and trying to defend myself to you? Do you think that's what my motive has been all along is what he's saying? He says, it's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ for all of your upbuilding, beloved. It's like, I've been trying to tear you down. I've been trying to build you up. I love you, is what he's saying. And he goes on. And then he says in verse 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. He's like, I'm beginning to sense that in the middle of all this conflict, you're probably not living the way you should. That there's some other stuff going on. I'm getting concerned about this. And that perhaps, in verse 20, there may be quarreling. 
and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander, gossip, conceit and disorder. Paul starts to courageously address the sin issues in their midst. There's a subtle lesson in here for you and me this morning. When there's significant conflict that's surfacing in our world, there's usually sin issues somewhere in the middle of all of that. Conflict doesn't happen in a vacuum. The conflict comes usually, not always. Sometimes it really is just a miscommunication, misunderstanding. But let's face it, that's usually pretty rare. There's usually some other stuff going on in the middle of that, in the middle of that. And Paul says, I'm beginning to think there's something deeper and more going on in the middle of this. And when I come and show up, it's not going to be just, you know, this that you guys are listening to these other individuals, but even in your own midst, that, that, that there's all this stuff that's probably going to be in the middle of it, quarreling, that you guys just have these hostilities toward one another, jealousy, that you are looking at one another and have jealousy and an envy, anger. We, many, if you've been going to church for very long and heard very many sermons, you've heard forever that there's you know, three or four different Greek words for love, and you've all heard sermons about that if you've gone to church for long. And that's true. But there's two Greek words for, for anger. One of the words is kind of the volcano. It's the eruption explosion. It's when you get red in the face and you just Wah! come out. That's this word. And the other one is more like a, just kind of an anger in the background. Almost like the passive aggressive, just I'm mad, but I got a smile on my face, but I'm mad inside. That's not what this word is. Paul says, you guys have some arguments, the emotion of jealousy and envy, wanting what somebody else has and resenting them for what they have and you don't have. You're getting angry and heated over this stuff. Hostility, that's a difficult word. That's a, it's a word that, that means at heart selfishness. But selfishness that ultimately ends up in hostility. Doesn't, when you're around selfishness, doesn't that automatically create tension and hostilities? That's what it's talking about. It's like, you guys have some selfish things going on in the middle of this slander. You're talking against other people. I'm concerned. I'm hearing about that, that that's going to be in there. Gossip, not gossip. Slander's talking against others. Gossip is talking about others. And putting them in unfavorable light. Conceit, attitude of pride and ego. And then just plain old disorder, like in the middle of it, like there's just chaos. What is going on here? Have you ever noticed that our sin always affects relationships? You see, sin is never an individual thing. When you and I fall into any of these things or we begin getting into this world, always 100% of the time damages the relationships with other people. You ever notice that? See, that's what's going on. Paul's like, guys, I've been an apostle long enough. I followed Jesus long enough that when there's this much going on, I know there's some root causes. And we're going to get to an even deeper root cause in just a minute. But he's like, guys, there's some sin issues that need to be 
I believe that need to be addressed. And I, I really, I really don't want to come to address those. I really would rather you guys kind of straighten it out and figure it out so I don't have to. I'd rather come and show up and be the grandparent, just have nice smiles and lavish gifts on you, rather than having to be the parent that's got to come in and bring discipline and straighten this. So he's urging them to kind of deal with those, those sin issues in their heart. When you and I are wading into and we're walking through conflict in our own personal life, you and I need to take a cue from Paul, and we need to do some significant examination in our life. Because until you and I can work through our own sin issues, we're not going to be able to be a part of a solution for anybody else. And until we wade through those things, we're not even going to be able to be a solution, not just for that other person, but just for the whole relationship together. And Paul is trying to hold a mirror up to them so that they can look into it and be like, yeah, we do have some jealousy going on. See, what Paul's noticing is that not only are they can have conflict with him, but he knows that there's probably stuff spinning and swirling going on in their relationships with one another inside the church. Because their, the character is showing. People aren't just automatically different with everybody. And he's picking up on these things. You see, for us is, is thinking of spiritual leaders. It's important that we recognize these issues in our own life and ask the God of heaven to help us. And if we're wrestling with those things, we need to come clean. Until we really address those sin issues in our heart, we will never have the healthy, God-honoring, close, unifying, good relationships that we crave. And until we get to those place, until we get to that point, or the more we get to the, that healthy place, if you will, the more we get to that, the less we will point our finger at the other person as the problem, blame all of our stuff on them, blame the failure and all of it on them, and we will begin realizing our peace, and we will humbly walk into that and and as we do, then the God of heaven is able to work in that relationship and work in that situation. So good spiritual leaders don't run away from conflict. They address it forthrightly as is needed. But they also examine their heart for their own life. And they begin to address the sin issues that are going on. Paul could have just kept his mouth shut and just said, hey, you know, I'm checking my heart. I wish you'd check yours. But he didn't. Like, he got to nosy and meddling and started calling some stuff out in the middle of that. And good spiritual leaders know how to do that well. By the way, and this is where I think for us as a church it's good to hear, you know, there's the, the qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 that, that Scripture talks about. And then we took those and sent them to you for us to consider as a pastor. It's very important. The calling of a pastor is a very significant step in a person's life and in a church's life. But we also, when we compiled our qualifications as a church, what we expect of pastors, we added some things to it. You know, I think it's good to have a pastor that prays. 
That's not in 1 Timothy 3. I think we should expect that. We added that in there. I think it's good to have a pastor that knows how to walk in the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit. That's not in 1 Timothy 3. And so we added things to it. But something that we didn't add, and, and at some level you couldn't put everything on a piece of paper to cover what we would expect of every pastor. But what Paul is doing and demonstrating as he's working with the church is we want, we should want our pastors to be men who know how to walk into conflict, know how to address sin issues, and be willing to walk in that world. You see, that's why the bar is set so high for pastors, because if a pastor is not able to live a life that, that's, that's reasonably healthy and honoring to God and help work through their stuff, how are they going to be able to turn around and help other people work through their own stuff, right? And it's even why when you look at the qualifications, we don't have deacons yet. I think we're moving closer and closer to that time. Um, but that's why the qualifications of pastors and deacons are so similar. You know, deacons really are not like junior pastors. They really aren't like the accountability board to pastors. They're the, they're the ones in the church that are to help serve the needs of the church body to free up the pastors in other areas, particularly preaching and prayers, what we see in the book of Acts. And they, they serve as an extension of that. So even though they don't have the, the, the authority or the oversight responsibility that pastors have, overall, the, the, the whole church is a pastor, elder, um, overseers that Scripture talks about. If they're serving the needs of the body and wading into those conversations, into those situations, then they're going to be walking into family difficulties and challenges as well. And they need to be able to be men who are living in a way that they can be helpful to other people, not hurtful, and know how to walk and how to speak and address and, and walk through all of those things. It just seems so clear to me that that's what we should expect of our leaders here. But it's what we should, all of us, aspire to, to be able to be people that deal with our own soul and turn around and be able to address the sins of those around us. If we... It's, it's fascinating thinking about the generational changes of people. And I don't know that I buy into all of the Boomer and Gen X and Y and Z, and I don't know what comes after Z. We must need to switch alphabets or we go all the way back like double A, you know, like the hurricanes, you know, we walk back through and, you know, I don't even know what happened to LMNOP before we ever got to X, Y, Z. But anyway, it's fascinating. But we're in a cultural world where people are taking their cues from the mass and the cloud and the culture at large. And I do wonder if the next generations coming on will know how to courageously and lovingly speak to specific sin issues of the heart. Because the world around us right now is telling them not to do it. It doesn't matter. There's bigger issues that they need to address. But good spiritual leaders for us, folks, I don't care if you're talking about in your home, mom and dad, trying to wade in and help and work with your kids. And there's times, if we're being honest, all of us just want to be like, can I just get a day off from being a parent? It would be really nice. Can, do I have to wade into this difficulty? Yes, you do. 
Paul said, I'm willing to come again, or whether you're dealing with a friend who's walking through stuff, or even sometimes at work, those things that we're called not to ignore, but we have a responsibility to address forthrightly, address courageously the sin issues, starting with our own heart and then working with others. And then the third thing that spiritual leaders do is they address salvation, our salvation, the salvation of other people boldly, Look what Paul does in chapter 3, verse 5. He shifts gears a little bit, but he really drills down deeper. In verse 5 of chapter 13, he says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to miss you fail to meet the test. Paul, Paul talked before that, and we didn't have time to read all the passage this morning. But he said, you know, guys, you're dealing with some stuff that I talked with you about before. In fact, there's three more sin issues here. They're all sexual sins that he talked about. He's like, I wrote to you about that again. I'm concerned you still got that going on. And you don't seem to get the picture that Jesus is in you. And there should be a change in your life. And what Paul is doing right now is he's being a good doctor. He's looking at all the symptoms, the conflict that's swirling. He's like, you know, there's probably some sin, selfishness and anger and jealousy that's giving rise to the conflict. And he's asking himself like a doctor, why is that going on? Just like when you go to the doctor and you're like, doctor, I don't feel well. well okay, I know you don't feel well, but like, talk to me. What, what, what do you feel like? And the doctor's trying to think what some of the root causes might be going on underneath it. If you have car troubles, you go to the mechanic, my car's not driving right, well, what's it doing? You know, or my car won't start, well, what's it doing? Is it clicking when you turn the key, or is it just going, you know? You gotta diagnose what's happening. Paul is giving a spiritual diagnosis, and he says, guys, there's so much sin, so much conflict, that I see there's probably some real sin here, and there might be a deeper root issue here. Some of you may not really know Jesus. It says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Not whether or not you have faith, whether or not you are in the faith. Whether or not you are really a born-again child of God. Whether or not you have really turned from your sins and asked Jesus to save you. If you guys are continuing, and this has been going on for years, keep in mind, Paul's had multiple trips. He's written multiple letters. He's like, wow. There might be something bigger going on here than just you don't know how to play well in the sandbox together. You don't know how to share your toys well. You don't know how to be nice. Like there's something deeper going on. And maybe Jesus really isn't your Savior. And he really isn't Lord of your life. That the God of heaven has truly not delivered you from your sins and you are still in bondage to this stuff. And the reason you can't get out of this stuff and out of the jealousies and the selfishness and the anger and the bitterness and the conflict and all of the drama, the real issue is, is you are still living for yourself and you don't know what it's like to have the God of heaven deliver you from your own sinful heart. So he's saying to them, you guys need to examine yourself to see whether or not you are truly in the faith. Test yourselves, because some of you might not be. 
He's not, telling, he's not saying to them, oh, you're not saved. I don't know that any one of us will ever know. I would sure not be comfortable. Oh, you're definitely saved. Oh, you're definitely not. Oh, you're definitely are. Oh, you're definitely not. That is a way above my pay grade. You know what I mean? But what Paul does do, each person, examine your own heart with where you are. Now, Paul assumes they know how to do that. Right? The reason I go to a doctor when I'm not feeling well is because I don't have the qualifications to know why I'm not feeling well. I go to somebody who does. But Paul assumed that they had been and around and heard enough that they knew what test to apply. Now, let me give you just two or three of them quickly, and we're going to be done here. The first test is, is what are you really trusting in for your salvation. What are you really trusting in to forgive you of your sin? If it's anything other than Jesus, then you're not in the faith. See, oftentimes people want to treat church almost like going to the beach or going, you know, I know, I know a lot of people go to the beach not because they want water. They go to the beach because they want sunshine. I get that. So let's just pretend with me in my little metaphor that you want to go to the beach for the water, okay? And when, you, and when you go to the beach, at least around here, I'm not thinking Florida, Bahamas, Hawaii, where I presume it's like, you know, 80-degree water and it's just amazing. I'm thinking like 50-degree water or 60-degree water. When you were a kid, you were okay with, but when you became an adult, it's like, that's cold. I don't want to be in that anymore. Like, I, I just don't want to do that. And a lot of people treat going to church and being around Christians like going to the beach. Some people just like sitting and kind of being there and soaking in the environment, but not ever getting in the water. They're really not all in with Jesus. Others kind of stick their toe in and maybe get up to their ankles, but they're not really like ready to go in. So they might attend a number of things and, you know, and really like that. But that's very different. If you really are going to swim and you're at the pool or the beach, you got to go all the way in. Like your feet have to be off the bottom. Your head's going to be totally wet. If you really are going to swim, you can't just kind of wade around in the kitty end of the pool, you know. You, you can't be like the mom, you know, just walking around with a little baby. Excuse, oh, I can't go swimming today. I got junior, you know. <laughs> you can't. And what I'm calling out to us is just because you go to church and just because you believe in God, and just because you've done this for a long time, you might have been going to church and the beach all your life, but until you go all in to Jesus and say, I commit my everything to you, to you to hold me up and forgive me my sins, you're just enjoying the ambiance and you really haven't, you're really not saved. That's the first test. So have you really committed to Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord? Second test. Do you have life change in your life? You know, what Paul is saying is like, don't you guys know Jesus is in you? I didn't read the passage earlier, but he says, don't you know that God is working powerfully inside of you? There's a, there's a life change. When you surrender your life to Jesus, the God of heaven comes to live inside of you. Folks, when God comes into the house, the house is not the same anymore. It changes. We do have a sin nature still, but God gives us a new nature. And those two things, those two realities in us are challenges to us. And sometimes we're like, oh, why do I do this? And I don't want to do it and all of that. That's normal. 
When I'm saying you don't have life change, I'm not saying that you don't ever have temptations, you don't struggle with sin, and you don't fall prey to sin. That's normal. But overall, when you look at your life, is there an upward progression of God changing your life and making you more and more like Jesus? When you really know Him, there is an upward progression in that life. And the last test is a fruitfulness and faithfulness test. Kind of like if you go to the store, you know, you kind of pinch the tomatoes a little bit or you kind of, you know, everybody probably has their little test, you know, for it's a melon or whatever. And I, I don't know what those things are very well, but I'm not a good fruit checker. But fruitfulness, look into your life and is there fruit? And is there a faithfulness, a longevity to the things of God? Am I talking perfection? No. I'm not, don't, don't step on that landmine. Don't step on legalism and all that the enemy would do to you and bring shame into your life. You're forgiven of your sins when you go all in with Jesus. But when you do, there's a fruitfulness and a faithfulness. The Bible says by their fruit, by another person's fruit, you'll know them. You'll know they're a child of God. You can just see it and tell it. Have you ever met somebody new, not in context of church, but maybe at a store or co-worker, and you're like, hmm, there's something different about that person. I pick up on something. You ever, what you're beginning to smell is the fruit, fruitiness, <laughs> hopefully in a good way. That Jesus has changed their life. And you're not surprised when you discover that they're a follower of Jesus. You're just like, I knew there was something different going on there. So is there fruitfulness in your life, a faithfulness of loving the things of God and pursuing him? And Paul says, look, if you're in a world where there's a lot of conflict and that's normal, and you're in a world where this sin stuff has just gotten you in grips and you really are stuck in the middle of it, you need to be a good doctor and consider one of the possible root causes is, is that you really don't know Jesus. Is that the only one possible? No. That's the one he's putting his finger on right now. So this morning, where are you personally in your relationship with God? Where are you with your own faithfulness and fruitfulness? There are times in our life where it's good to examine, to step back, to kind of look objectively. Am I fooling myself? Am I kidding myself? Do I really know Jesus? Do I see that? And in the middle of that process, I would encourage you to talk to somebody that knows you and that you trust. Not somebody that's just going to, oh, of course you know Jesus, but somebody that's going to help you to, to walk through that and pray with you and help you to reflect, to encourage you, to point you to scriptures, but walk through that process seriously. And if God's not talking to you about that in your life right now, then where are you in terms of being that good spiritual leader? Do you run from all of that conflict? I'm not saying you got to enjoy it. Paul didn't like these letters, I'm sure, didn't enjoy them, didn't relish them. At some level, you ought to dislike them. Because you ought not like fighting and conflict. There's something messed up in that if you do. But are you willing to engage for the other person's good? Are you examining your heart and your own sin issues first? And are you willing to genuinely address the sin in their life for the building up of the other person? I missed that whole piece, but I won't go back too far with it. But Paul said, I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm trying to build you up. Whenever you are remodeling a home, you got to demolish some stuff that's rotten and bad, and you got to take it out before you can put in its new. And Paul said, I'm seeing a lot of bad stuff, rottenness in your soul and in your church. 
And you and I, when we see that, need to engage and address it. Need to be willing to boldly engage other people with their salvation. So I don't know what God has spoken to your heart this morning, guys, but I hope it's something in the middle of those things. Where are you as your own spiritual leader? You may say, Sean, I'm not really not a spiritual leader. You know, Ephesians 5 closes out by saying that we should all be mutually submissive to one another. Leadership is just influence with another individual. You're a leader when you're sitting down having coffee with somebody and somebody's asking advice, you're speaking into that world. You're a leader in that moment to them. You may not have any real authority over their life, but you have the leadership influence responsibility into their soul. And we all need this to be mutually together to allow others to speak into us, humbly receiving those truths and those realities. So wherever this is speaking into your heart this morning, respond to God. Whatever he's speaking in your heart, respond to him this morning. Let me pray and we'll close our service. Father in heaven, I thank you for the Lord Jesus who loves us, who saved us, who died for us. And God, I don't think any of us really like conflict. But I fear at times we like being humbled less than we like conflict. And out of pride or ego, we keep the wall of defensiveness. We keep the walls high. Lord, I'm grateful that Paul told us this morning that he really wasn't doing this for his own good. He was trying to help them. Help us to be able in the same, have that same posture as Paul did. Not defensive, not personal, but walking in and addressing that conflict, addressing the sin for the benefit of the other person and the benefit of the relationship, the health of all of that. And Lord, help us to examine our own hearts for real and help us to be willing to winsomely, forthrightly, gently, but boldly to speak to the salvation of those around us. Father, we need good spiritual leaders today more than ever. And Lord, I pray that you would help us Help us to, to model what we see that Paul did today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, folks, the best thing about drama is to read about somebody else's drama and figure out how to avoid it instead of being enamored with it. So, not a lot of theological meat and muscle in here in this passage, but a whole lot of practical this is what we need to do. So let's live out what we see Paul doing today. So I hope you have truly have a blessed week. God bless you guys. Enjoy, and I'll see you later. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.